welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please visit thepearl.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Okay. You can turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to go to chapter uh, chapter 15, and, and what I'm going to do, just because of time, time got away from us, we started a little late just because of the snow, I'll probably, for the back, I'm going to, I'll just exhort a little bit, and you can follow along um, as, I, as I do, but I want to talk this morning, we're going to talk about grace just for a minute, and grace is probably one of the most important messages that we could ever hear the, the problem with, with preaching on grace is that I think oftentimes we take it for granted. And what happens is because everything is impacted by grace, sometimes we don't get to talk about it specifically. And this morning, I, I really want to just give you one verse today, but I want to read it in context. Now, we talked about reading the Bible uh, not too long ago and the importance of Scripture. And one of the things that I, I want to sow into the, into the atmosphere in terms of studying the Bible, is when you read a Bible, when you read the Bible and I give you a verse, or when you're studying, uh, don't just take the verse. I want you to read the whole chapter. So if you've got a great verse that's speaking to you, read the whole chapter, okay? Um, that's called hermeneutics. That's how you study. So we can't build things off of one verse. We can't build a religion or, a, or even a faith or a church off of one verse. You have to read things in context. But I really have one verse for you today. I just want to give it to you in the context. I want to give you one of the verses that I think is one of the most important verses in the New Testament. And the, and the reason why this verse is so powerful is because it deals with grace at a different kind of level. When we are building church, and when Paul is writing in the New Testament, we tend to get on all kinds of stuff. We talk about community, we talk about uh, leadership, and of course Paul, when he writes, Paul is writing to leaders, Someone asked me the other day, why are you so passionate about the local church? And I said, well, because Jesus was and Paul was. And we had a little discussion and I just said, no, wait a minute, hold on. Paul wrote to some churches. Do you know who they were? And they're like, yeah, I think so. I said, they're called the Galatian church, the Ephesians church, right? The Philippian church. All of Paul's letters were written to churches. And so Paul then, like he does in, in 1 Corinthians, he's actually dealing with the leadership in the, in the Corinthian church. They're having all kinds of conflict and stuff's going on. And, and I think that in chapter 15, what, what Paul does is he just kind of pulls back a little bit because he wants to insert something into his writing. He's hoping to catch their heart and not just deal with their thoughts. He's the leadership pastor. He's the leadership apostle. But did you know that Paul had an incredible testimony, an amazing testimony? Now I want you to think about this. What has Jesus done in your life? Aren't you glad that Jesus has done what he did in your life? I mean, I'm looking back over now 30 years of being a Christian. 30 years. That makes me 31. And, wow, I even laughed at my own joke. That was so funny. Um, when you look back over, I look back over my life, there's no way that I, I ever knew that I would be here with you. I, I never thought growing up as a kid that I would that I would ever go to church because I didn't know about church. That's all part of my testimony. But I remember the day that, I, I remember uh, drugs and alcohol and, and being messed up in high school and, 
I remember the day that I got saved and gave my life to Jesus Christ. I remember the day, the night. I remember where I was standing. I remember how God spoke to me that night. I remember on the ground weeping and crying. I remember when I got saved. But even when I got saved, I had no idea that I would ever, you know, end up in ministry and that I'd build a church for 20 years and that I'd pack my minivan and drive to Denver, Colorado. I, I had no idea. I didn't know that I would have the family that I have. I, I didn't know that... That, that with all of my mistakes, I felt so insignificant and so insufficient when I got saved. I was happy to go to church. I wanted to go to church, but I didn't think God could use me because I didn't understand the power of grace. We know what grace is, but we don't always understand the power of grace. Grace is powerful. Grace changes things. The work of God doesn't just wipe away your sins. It fills you with so much strength and energy and passion and purpose that the work of grace begins to do something that you could never do. I'm grateful for the grace of God. Like, and, I, and Paul, Paul is, Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm going to deal with you guys because you're, you're having issues. But then he stops right in the middle. And he gives his testimony. And, and one of the things when we read the leadership apostle in the Bible, we need to remember who he was. I mean, this man... This man did not only not know Christ, but he persecuted Christ. He persecuted Christians. He was so vexed in his spirit because he knew God was real, but he wouldn't admit it, right? Finally, Jesus meets him one day on the Damascus Road. He's on a, he's on a donkey. He's going to persecute Christians. A light appears, and he hears a voice, and, he, and it blinds him. And he goes, who is this? And Jesus goes, it's me, it's Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Let's have a conversation. And he, gets, he gets radically saved. His, his, he changes his name from, from Saul to Paul, and there were some strategic reasons for that because he was going to minister to the Greeks and the Gentiles. But, but he, gets, he gets his world rocked. I mean, this guy in Philippians, when he gives his testimony, he says, he says look, he says, look I, I'm the, if anybody thinks they have confidence in their flesh, I have more than you circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as a Pharisee, I am flawless, faultless, he said. I'm the best Pharisee that you will ever meet. How many of you don't want that to be your testimony? Right? I'm the best Pharisee that you've ever met in your life. And he said, because I persecuted, I persecuted the people of God. And then all of a sudden, when you begin to connect with his testimony, you start to see it in every one of his letters. He starts to say things in his writings like, I'm writing to you today from a clear conscience. He would throw it in there almost like, why did he say that? He, he said that because he was being used mightily by God, but he still didn't understand why. He didn't get it. He would say, I'm ministering to you with, with a clear conscience, which means I know God's forgiven me. I know that I'm clear, and I, and I feel this in my spirit, but I have to say what i got to say because God's called me to say it. And I don't feel like I'm good enough to say it, but someone's got to help you right now. And if it's me, fine, it's going to be me. And all through the Bible, he just begins to talk about his mistakes and his failures. But then here in Corinthians, he makes one of the most powerful statements that I think Paul writes in the New Testament. Because Paul's the teacher. He's the Bible guy, right? He wrote all of the, he wrote the epistles and half of those were written, some of those were written while he was in prison being persecuted. He's in, he's in prison, and he's writing Ephesians. He's writing Philippians. We call them the prison epistles. There's five of them. And nobody here ever wants to go to prison. Can I hear an amen? But part of me is like, even our prisons have purpose, because if he hadn't gone to prison, he wouldn't have had the time to write the letters. He learned something. 
He learned that even in his worst moment with all of his mistakes and all of his failures, and even if, even if man and people rise up against them, I mean, this guy, he got saved and the other apostles didn't even believe it. He wanted, to, he wanted to join the work of God and Peter and James and John. They're like, no, 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 wait, wait, who's that? We've heard of that guy. What's he doing here? Barnabas has to step in and go, hey, guys, listen, I'm telling you, it's real. It's real. He got saved. Like, he genuinely got saved. They thought that maybe he was coming in to spy on them so that he could persecute them. They were afraid of him. Barnabas is like, no, th this is real. I want you to hear one of the most powerful statements that Paul makes. I'm going to read it in context, and I'll show you when we get there. But he says, look, you guys, here's what God has done in my life. And I just want to paint the picture for you this morning. And I won't get to all the notes. We kind of went long, started late. But I want you to get the, the main idea. So let's, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start in verse 3. Verse 3. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Everyone say first. Okay. So he says, look, what I'm about to talk to you about, and I started in the, in the verses earlier. He talks about the gospel and salvation and grace. But he says, what, what I've received, I've passed on to you as first importance. So of all the things that Paul taught, of all the, the epistles that he wrote, all of the theology and the doctrine and um, all of the, the outlined, you know, doctrinal things that he did put together the church, the things that we live our life by right now, the, the, he's the reason we live our life this way is because he taught us how to do it. He learned it from the apostles who learned it from Jesus. Can I just tell you, all of those things are secondary to this. He says, what I've passed on to you is of first. Everyone say first. First importance. Now here's the first. Here it is right here. This is, the, this is what equalizes us. This is what makes us the same. It's what makes us equal. And Paul would go on to start the, uh, the church in Antioch. If you know that the church started in Jerusalem, Hebrew, kind of racist, kind of bigoted, kind of arrogant, Right? No, everybody else is not as good as the Hebrews. That church gets, gets going, it gets rocking. Paul gets saved. He's in a city called Antioch, and Antioch is a place where all of the nations came together. Every tongue, every color of skin, every ethnos, they all came together, and they were all getting saved. And Paul's dealing with people who needed to know that they were equal, that no one else is better than anybody else because of the way they look, the way they dress, the way they talk, the way that they, the, the church they go to, the synagogue they went to. Jesus said we're all the same. Paul's dealing with it. And he says, here is the first thing. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So Paul just doesn't go off on some tangent. He says the scriptures support what I'm about to say to you. Because remember, he's the teacher. He's the doctrine guy. He's the one who set up our theology so he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This was very important to Paul. He, he didn't want you to think he's teaching some crazy doctrine. So he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Here's the teacher. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. So he wants the Corinthian church to see the first thing that is important, the most important thing is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose to the dead according to the scriptures. He couldn't, he couldn't stop himself from saying it. This is real. And then something happens. 
Then he changes and he starts to go into his story. And he just, he just kind of goes on a little, a little story time. You know, it's like, and what he does here now, have you ever had a moment where you're, you're living life, you're doing your thing, right? But then you begin to reflect. And when, once you start to reflect, all of a sudden your mind goes a certain direction, right? And you kind of take, you kind of go down a, a, a path and that path is fine as long as it doesn't take you somewhere outside of the scriptures, right? He, he starts to do this. Now, I've told this story to the church. I don't know if I've said it in this location, but I did this one time on a plane. And you guys know the story. I preached it, I, I think, last year, but I was on a plane. And I just got super grateful on the plane. And I have a playlist on my phone. I've had it on my phone for so many years. People have it now all over the, all over the world. And I used to call it Doug's Dangerous Devotions. And the reason I called it dangerous is because if you listen to it, you better not do it in a public place. So I'm on this plane. And, and, and you know, when, I, when you're in junior high or high school, you know, songs happen and you have a crush on Susie. You know, but if you're from my generation, you know, you think of Susie and you hear songs in your head like, everybody needs a time away. Just for the time. I don't even remember those words. It doesn't matter. It's the melody. The melody gets me. Right? So I have this playlist. Every time where I went through something difficult, I would go find a, a song that ministered to my spirit. And I started putting them on a playlist. And I'm on a plane. And I, while I'm on the plane, I decide I get really grateful. I'm going to listen to the playlist. So I started, and I get to the end of the first song, and I've been training pastors and leaders and, you know, at a conference and all this normal stuff, and, I'm all, and all of a sudden, my, my mind just goes back to this incredible sense of gratefulness about what God's done in my life. And the first song, I was like, oh, I, I totally remember that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm against the window, got my earbuds hitting my head down. I think I even had a hoodie on. <laughs> I'm just like... Then this next song hits me. And then, then there's, this, there's this song that was my song when I felt called to the ministry in Bible college, right? I remember the song. And it was a song by a group called Commissioned. Just waiting for some hoots from, if you know. If you know, you know. And it was called Ordinary Just Won't Do. Powerful song. Ordinary Just Won't Do hits me. I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like crying, and I get to about the fifth song. I've got my head against the window. I'm weeping. I'm wiping the tears off my eyes. The stewardess comes down the aisle. The guy sitting next to me puts his hand on my shoulder. <laughs> they think some tragedy has happened, and I'm flying somewhere to go deal with a tragedy. And I hear the stewardess say, just be there for him. They hand me Kleenex, you know, like we do in church. <laughs> Total stranger's got his hand on my shoulder. And I realize this is super awkward right now. I have to either keep crying or tell them, no, I'm just thinking about, you know, Bible college. So I just sit there, right? So if you want to think about all the things that Jesus has done for you, it's what grounds you. 
It's what, it's what keeps you real when you're, when you're on the top of the mountain or at the bottom of the valley. It doesn't matter because grace, grace does not look at you differently if you're having successes or failures. It's what grounds you. Those tears ground you. That's how Jesus relates to us. So Paul's having the moment right now. While he's writing to the Corinthian church, and I, I, and I know I, I got to wrap this up. I'm not rap, although, you know, I'm, I got some skills, but my son, he's afraid of me. He's, my, son, my son wants to have a rap battle with me, but he needs a little time. He needs a little practice. Um, so it says this, verse 4, and that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And, now watch this, here he goes. And that he appeared to Cephas. Now he starts talking about Jesus himself. Who got to meet Jesus face to face? Who got to see him? Who got to be with him? And he names him. He goes, and he appeared to Cephas. He starts thinking. And then he appeared to the 12 apostles, you know. And, and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. I mean, most of all, most of them are still living, but some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. And then he appeared to James, and he starts thinking. James was the, was the half-brother of Jesus, and James didn't even believe that Jesus was God until after the resurrection. James became the pastor of the Jerusalem church, but, but Jesus' own family rejected him while he was doing miracles. They, they came, when Jesus turned the water into wine, his own family showed up, and they tried to shut him down, and they said, the whole community is going to think that he's nuts, he's going to embarrass us. Jesus says, hey, my family are these people right here. He, it was tough. James, he even appeared to James. And then to all the apostles. Now look at verse 8. And last of all, last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. You see, to be an apostle in the New Testament there were some qualifications. One of those qualifications to be an apostle at that time was you had to have walked with Jesus in the flesh. Apostles were the only ones that walked with him and ministered with him in the flesh. To be an apostle, you had to be there. You had to watch him do miracles. You had to, you had to help him. You had to pray for him. You had to protect him. You had to be a part of that cohort that was changing the world. Those were the 12 apostles. Paul wasn't there. So why do we call him the Apostle Paul? Paul was so filled with grace and so overwhelmed with his love because one day while he's killing Christians, now not personally killing Christians, but you know back then if you were in the priesthood, you couldn't actually cause someone to death. But what Paul would do is while the Romans would arrest Christians and invade their homes and they'd look around, they'd look over at Paul and Paul wouldn't be able to, to actually do it himself, but he'd see Christians and they were going to put them in, in, in prisons and in dungeons and, and martyr them and kill them. Paul would look at the Christians across the room and he'd see the soldiers or whoever it was and he would just go he'd give them the nod he'd give them this he didn't do it himself but he was responsible for it he is so broken the key to his ministry was not his gift I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, changed or, or um, trained in the, in the ministry of Gamaliel in the best college, I'm a doctor of the law 
His ministry and his strength did not come from his education. It came from the brokenness that grace covered. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. And last of all, last of all, while I'm on a donkey, going to persecute your people, you had the grace to appear to me. You had the love to blind me. You had the hope in me to guide me and take me to someone who would help me know why this was happening. I got to see you in the light. You see, what qualifies Paul to be an apostle is the Damascus Road. That's why he says, and last, last, he appeared to me as one abnormally See, because he wished in his heart that he could have seen Jesus face to face. He would have done anything to have been like John and to sit with Jesus and with Peter and be, to be trained by Jesus, but he didn't get that. He was born too late. And so Jesus visited him. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles. And I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul loved the church so much. You know, we hear the word saints, right? Paul is the first guy to, to coin the word saint, the saints of God. In, in scripture, he called them saints. He took the people of God and he lifted them up to such a high level. He says they're, they're the saints of God and, and ultimately he would be part of a movement and a revolution for the house of God, for the people of God. He loved them so much. And then he says this, verse 10, and this is the verse I want you to notice. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see? By the grace of God, I am what I am. With all of his victories, let, let me just, as I, as I close this up today, let, let me read you just a couple of things. I want you to get, because he had a pre-cross and a post-cross, just like all of us, right? My pre-cross mistakes are not any more powerful in the negative than my post-cross victories are in the positive. Because they all come to the middle. They all come to the middle. Let me, let me read you, let me read you pre-cross. Philippians 3, if someone thinks they have a reason to put confidence in their flesh, I have more circumcised than the eight day of the people of Israel. They're from the tribe of Benjamin. That's where Jesus would come from, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And regarding to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. And as for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. He's talking about that. But then he, then he gets saved, and then his whole life gets turned upside down. And even, check, out, check this out. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Through whatever. Let me tell you what's happened since I became a Christian. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've gone without food and I've been cold and naked and besides everything else I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches all the people that need me who is weak and do I not feel weak who is led into sin and do I not burn and really he just said he says look I need Christ whether I'm 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 the best of the best I'm the worst of the worst on my good days or when I'm being flogged and beaten and shipwrecked I still need Jesus because all of it comes to the center in grace I'm no better now. I'm no, I'm no more incredible now because I'm taking a beating for Christ than I was when I was persecuting the people of God. It's all about the grace of Jesus. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's it. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on to say this. He says, uh, he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. What he means is that if anybody's wondering, the grace of God has impacted me greatly. Like it has rocked my world. I couldn't do this if it wasn't for the grace. The grace of God was not without effect. No, I work harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He says, you want to know how I keep going? You want to know how I keep praying? You want to, he says, I can't do it in my physical body. You know, he had a little bit of a speech impediment. His body was beaten and broken. He, you want to know how I do all of this? Because I am weak and he is strong. Because I am broken and he makes me whole. Because he has called me when I was nothing. And because the people that I persecuted, he called me to love. And it's the love of Jesus. The grace of God allows me to do things that I could not do in my own strength. The grace of God allows me to love my family when my family doesn't love me back. The grace of God allows me to believe for my future when I'm confused about my future. The love of God and the grace of God covers every mistake when I keep making mistakes. When I keep falling into sin and screwing up my life. The, the grace of God covers my mind when I, I can't handle my own thoughts. The grace of God. I don't know except by the grace of God. So he says, whether you love me or whether you hate me, I got nothing to prove by the grace of God. I am what I am. That's the most powerful scripture that Paul ever wrote because he talks about who he is. All right, we're going to wrap it up. Please stand to your feet. Come on, stand to your feet quickly. And, uh, and as we do this, stand to your feet and bow your heads just for a moment. Just for a moment. And let me pray for you. There are some people here this morning when I, when I say the words, heads bowed, eyes closed. When I say the words, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It speaks so deeply to you because you have, you have been struggling with your faith, struggling with maybe things inside of your heart. You look at your past. You're thinking about what Christianity might cost. Or, and, and, and you're just saying, I don't know. I don't want people to judge me. I don't know if I can make it. Some of you, when I say the words, by the grace of God, I am what I am, I want you to know you have nothing to prove. You have, there's no works that you can do. You are loved regardless. 
of anything you've ever thought, done, any action by the grace of God. You don't, you don't have to perform for anybody. All you have to do is have an open heart to Jesus and Jesus will guide you and lead you and love you. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And there's power in that. There's some people here this morning when I say those words, it means a lot to you. You know who you are. I want you to lift your hands right now. If that's you, lift your hand right now. You know who you are because God's working in your spirit. God's working in your heart. Come on, keep, keep those hands up. Lift your hand if you know that you just need Jesus more than anything else. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here this morning. I thank you, Lord, for every person with their hands lifted and even those that didn't that want to. I, I, I get it. I pray you bless them. By the grace of God, you are who you are. We don't look at the external we don't judge your actions. We're not expecting you to be anybody but who you are before Christ. God wants to take a moment with you and start over. He wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants to fill you with strength and hope. Jesus, we love you today. I pray for these that you bless them, fill them, and strengthen them, Jesus. Church, pray this with me. Say, Father, I love you today. And by the grace of God, I am who I am. So Jesus, fill me, strengthen me, guide me, lead me. I love you, Father. Fill me with your spirit. I give you my life, and I trust you with my future. In Jesus' name.